1: Welcome to episode 73 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, locked and loaded for another episode of Power Packed Persuasion Stuff. That's a value-add word, a verbal packaging stuff that Kurt totally is on board with. We're going to get it rolling here. We've got a geeky article moment in just a minute, but we want to continue to remind you to go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and click on episode 72. You can read more and and click that, and that is where you'll find the link for the contest that we did last week. What was the contest, Kurt? Do you even remember? Oh,
0: going way back. Hold on, hold on. Oh, yes, I do. Presentation skills. We want to hear audio from your presentation or hopefully a video. There's a spot there to upload it to us. We're going to give you some free feedback. We won't mock you on the show. We won't name names, but we're going to help you out. And it kind of helps us out, too, to see what blunders are out there, what's going on. So the contest is... Send in your videos, send in your audios. We'll give you critique. We'll give you feedback, and the winner gets—I don't even remember that part. Steve, what does the winner get?
1: The winner gets a free year subscription to University of Persuasion.
0: Oh yeah, that's our plug. You got to go to universityofpersuasion.com. Check out our annual 52-week super duper. There's my verbal packaging of the day.
1: Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah,
0: if it's my emotional scars for my kids watching Barney, but that's a whole other story. Oh. oh. <laughs> Go to universitypersuasion.com. Check it out. Some great stuff. Great free training there, too, and it'll really help
1: you out. Cool, cool. Yeah, universitypersuasion.com is where you find that program. But like I said, go to maximizeyourinfluence.com, click on episode 72, and you can listen to that episode. I would recommend it because we give some presentation blunders, things that you should avoid, and they will increase your chances of... Winning the contest, of course. And we're also going to give it a prize to the worst presentation. <laughs> but we've not decided what it is yet because we don't want to incentivize poor performances and waste a bunch of our time looking at uh, stuff that you didn't even try to do well. <laughs> so
0: That's right. It's yeah. got to be legit.
1: It's got to be legit or we'll just toss it. We'll just toss it. <laughs> it's not like a totally democratic contest. You know, We're, we're dictators here on Maximizer Influence. Yep. <laughs> so that ought to make you like us more if you don't already. So, Kurt... We, we have a geeky article moment to get to in just a second. I had a big old porterhouse steak at Morton's in Orange County, California on Friday night, and it was delightful. That is good
0: eating. I'll put my plug in for that. That is the place. But I do feel sorry for the waiters and waitresses who do have to memorize the menu. I thought that's kind of cruel and unusual, but that's what they do.
1: Well, we had a cruel and unusual waitress. She's going to be the blunder a little bit later on, but Mm. given the dinner I had at Morton's, it was not heart healthy, and you have an article that (laughs) might help me. How's that for a segue?
0: Well, since you are stuck on steak, and we have to talk about food on every show, and you're not going to give up your steak, I'm going to give you another way to create heart healthiness. Is that a word? To create more health for your heart. Go, Urkel. Give us the sound. Bingo. All right, got it. So this one's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about optimism. This is a University of Illinois. They found that you have better cardiovascular health when you're optimistic opposite of those who were cynical had worse cardiovascular health. All these big words today. So they looked at 5,100 adults and they looked at their levels of optimism, you know, half full, half empty. We've all heard it before. And this is done by Dr. Rosabal Hernandez. Hopefully I've gotten that right. And she said this is significant, looking at the different characteristics, mental health, what was going on, looking at what people were doing. But a lot of it came down to optimism or pessimism. See, researchers found a correlation between total health scores and their amount of optimism. I'm not sure how they measured that. There's different ways to do that. I've seen different tests on optimism and pessimism. And it's really interesting that they came together and they found this out. This is published in the Journal of Health Behavior. I know you're probably going to get it in the mail this week. You can take a look at it. And I've said this before, that optimism increases your ability to persuade and influence. People want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. And, and pessimism is the opposite. And understand, not only does it help you be more influential, this study shows it actually helps your heart. And I guess if you're pessimistic, if you're negative, not only does it suck the life out of others, it sounds like it's sucking the life out of you and your heart, and it makes a big difference. And can optimism be learned? And I'm going to say absolutely. I don't know if I can say that. The book I would recommend is Dr. Martin Seligman. It's called Learned Optimism. If this is something that you have a challenge with, it will not only help your ability to influence, but it also helps your physical health.
1: Well, it makes sense. We all know that person that is just so stressed out, they're a ball of negativity, and it always ends with a heart attack or a stroke, doesn't it?
0: It usually does. And and so when we logically think about it, it makes a lot of sense. But wow, it really helps your heart to be optimistic. And it doesn't mean that you're not looking around corners, maybe something could happen preparing for the worst. But you're, for the most part, thinking you know things are going to turn out, it's going to be okay, people enjoy being around you, you're not sucking the life out of people, you're not that negative Honorary pessimistic person that just pulls everybody down. And again, let me reiterate: optimism can be learned.
1: So, is there such thing as too optimistic? You know, you mentioned Barney earlier in the show.
0: (laughs) Yes, I would say yes. If you're sitting on the couch thinking, "I'm the best and people love me and I'm rich," and you don't work and you don't do anything and you just keep checking your mailbox, that would be too optimistic. And it's important, like I say, to look around the corners. You know some things are going to happen. But just overall, you know, even though there's going to be bumps in the road, even though there's going to be some hard times, for the most part, overall things are going to eventually work out for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely those optimistic people. Not, of course, being the one. I know a few of these, and you probably do too, that they're so optimistic that they're just not real Mm-hmm. Um, everything is peachy all the time and you don't feel like you ever have a real conversation with them. <laughs> True. which is
0: like, whoa, whoa, too much. Turn it down. Turn it down. Yeah.
1: They're putting on a show. They're putting on a show <laughs> and that's, you know, it takes a lot of Prozac to maintain that
0: uh, mentality. Yes, does. That would be a double <laughs> dose right
1: there. Yeah. I know what I'm thinking that those people, they kind of have that blank look in their eyes. Like they're on Prozac.
0: <laughs> if you're on so it, there's no two ad- ways no to offense. learn optimism. You can read the book or you can take Prozac. That's there right. is your message of the day.
1: That's right. And in America, <laughs> we will go for number two. Take the pill. <laughs> okay. Well, good. That's a good article. I appreciate that. Kurt and Mr. Urkel doing a great job as always. And we want to, now that we've talked about optimism, my daughter tried this technique on me this morning. She slammed the door in my face. Oh, (laughs) fun. Yeah, yeah. She's the seven-year-old I've mentioned at various times on the podcast who is all red personality type A. We like to joke that she's going to sue us one day, her (laughs) (laughs) parents. Wouldn't be surprised. So we want to talk about that. I joke about door in the face, but it's a legitimate persuasion technique that frames value sometimes when you present your product, your prospects, it might land with a giant thud. They don't think it's that great. Or maybe maybe a competitor went before you and stole your thunder. We need to be able to frame value and because it's all relative, isn't it? We need to be able to decide what is the starting point from where our prospects are going to perceive the value of our product.
0: Absolutely. And this is used to adjust the perception of time, adjust the perception of value, use door-in-the-face technique. And it's... a powerful technique that can really change how people perceive your product or service and even the value because if people are saying oh it's too expensive you can't blame them it's your fault you've blown the presentation if you want to create more value or show that the project's not going to take as much effort as they think it is you use door in the face because it's a knee-jerk reaction for humans too expensive too much time i, I can't do that they visualize it. it's going to be this big huge thing we use door in the face to kind of adjust that perception and what it is is you Take this large, unreasonable request that's just like way out there. And this works really well in negotiation, by the way. No, 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 no. They decline. And then you come back with what you really want, that second, smaller, reasonable request. Again, this can be used for time. It can be used for money. Let me give you a couple of studies, a couple of examples, and we'll talk about it. Blood drive. It's around about 5% of people actually donate blood on a regular basis. I know there's some fear of needles and a few other things, but watch what they did. So they had all the trucks and all the banners, blood drive today, and the volunteer would come up and say, hey, will you donate blood today? And only about 31% said yes, which actually statistically is pretty good. Hey, will you donate today? They said 31%. Now watch what they did here. The next time they said, hey, will you be willing to donate blood every two months for the next three years? They're like, whoa, whoa, no, too much. I can't commit to that. I don't think so. said, will you at least donate today? By adding that door in the face, that request that was just so high, so huge, they went from 31% to 49%. Almost half the people said yes by adding that little extra, donate every two months for the next three years. Here's another one. This was done at a college, and people were asked to do a survey. Say, hey, will you complete a 15-minute survey? That's an average request, I guess. 25% said yes. Now, when they add a door in the face, it doubled the amount of yeses. I hope you're listening to that. It doubled the amount of yeses here. So when they asked for a 15-minute survey, 25% said yes. Now, this time, door in the face, here it is. Hey, will you do a two-hour survey? Whoa, no, busy. I got class. I got to study for a test. I got this paper I got to do. No, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Well, can you help me out at least do a 15-minute survey? went from 25% to 50% just by adding door in the face. It works well in negotiations when you're adjusting the perception of time. For example, hey, can you help us out with this 15-minute meeting? No, I don't have time. Hey, we've got a two-hour meeting. No, I can't do it. Can you at least give us 15 minutes? It can work for time. It can work for money. When you're adjusting the perception of time or value, it is a powerful home run technique.
1: That's similar to what we do in the real estate industry where you're showing buyers houses. You always know that you need to frame their expectations because what do they think they're going to find, right? And it's it's not your fault what's on the market, whether it's really good or really bad. So the idea is to take them to houses that you don't think they're going to really like at first and save the best one for last because it just makes it look so much better as, as opposed to if you went to it first.
0: Yeah, real estate agents have been getting in trouble for that for a long time where they call setup properties where they show them This property that's just a dump, it's just a dive, and the next one looks that much better. I'm sure you would never do that, but I've, I've heard that done many times. I think the best case study I've heard is Starbucks. They had to come into a market where coffee was worth a quarter, maybe 50 cents, and they had to adjust the perception. Coffee's worth 50 cents. You want me to pay how much for a cup of coffee? And so they adjusted the perception. And if you take a look at what they did, the ambiance, it's almost like a winery. There's different regions. There's no small, medium, or large. There's
1: Grande, Grande and Venti. Changed and, the name. Yeah. What's that? Grande and Venti. It's all exotic yeah. now.
0: <laughs> so they've changed the names, and they adjusted everything around to where the perception changed, and it was worth it. It was gourmet. It was the best of the best. It was regions around the world. You're going to go to... That donut shop and get your quarter cup of coffee. No, you come here and it's experience, and they adjusted the perception of coffee to from twenty five cents to five bucks.
1: Yeah, yep, and they run it now. They're in charge. They do. They
0: <laughs> are in charge.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if there are more Starbucks than McDonald's.
0: Uh, it's probably a good bet. I would. That'd be interesting. to Look up. I think there probably is.
1: Yeah, there could be. Well, how do you walk that line between? I'm going to do the door in the face, right? I'm going to give somebody an offer that they're not going to like. And that's going to adjust their expectations. But how do you not go too far and end the conversation or offend them so much that you don't even have a second chance? Does that question make sense?
0: Oh, that's perfect. No, that's a great question because if you cross that insult zone where you're just way out in left field, there's no way you pull that number out of the air. You're just being a butt. I don't know if we can use that word then it has the opposite reaction. So it has to come in, we talk been talking about real estate quite a bit, to where there has to be a way, where did that number come from? You say, well, you know, based on my formula, based on the market, based on these last three homes that we looked at, based on the legal, and you can fill in the blank, whatever it is, let them know that you didn't pull that number out of the air, that there's a reason for it. Even though it's kind of high, this is where it came from. And one of the other ways to do that too is, Not to pull out a number of the air like three hundred thousand dollars. Odd numbers are more persuasive than even numbers. If you say something, well, it's according to my numbers, it's three hundred five thousand four hundred seven dollars. That's more persuasive than just straight three hundred thousand dollars. In fact, it's interesting with numbers is that odd numbers, when they end with odd numbers, are more persuasive than even numbers. We see this at Walmart. It's now, it's not ten dollars. It's nine dollars and ninety-seven cents, and when it ends in a seven for some reason now that's out pulling even the number 9 which has been a shift in the world of persuasion and
1: influence right right in the high end consultative sale it's funny because prospects oftentimes want to play poker with you right what are you going to offer me and how much you going to offer it to me for and when you start asking them things about budget and expectations like i said they want to play poker and they want to say well tell me what you got right So it's hard. You got to be careful with the door in the face because you don't know where the face is. There's a difference between slamming the door in somebody's face and giving them a concussion. Okay. So you've got to have that conversation and get some of their expectations out there and see if you can get them to talk about numbers because it's old school negotiation blunders, Kurt, where people afraid to mention the first number because they think that that's going to be the absolute best that they're ever going to get. Right.
0: And we've talked about that. Do not be afraid. As long as you've done your research, to put the first number out there. Statistics show that you'll get better offers. You get to dictate the starting point of the negotiation. And if they give you this big wide eye and say, whoa, I can't believe that, you're calm, you're in control, and says, well, what were you looking for? What were you expecting to invest? What numbers did you come up with with your research? Let's talk about it. And understand, too, it is that poker game like you mentioned negotiators are trained in negotiation 101, where you come out with the offer, even though when it's acceptable to them, they're going to say, is that the best you can do? And you have Mm -hmm. to be able to look them right in the eye and say, yes, it is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just by being legitimate and transparent and, and, and being ethical. I mean, people can feel that they don't feel like that you're jerking them around at some point there. And I, I had a mentor teach me that you need to get that conversation out there. You need to talk about budget for example. And if they absolutely refuse it, he taught me to say, well, I can get some numbers together for you, but without having any idea of where you want to be, the only thing I can guarantee you about my numbers is that they're going to be good for me. (laughs) (laughs) So you're afraid that uh, that's the best you're going to do if you come. That's not the case. I want to do a win-win deal here. And you got to tell me what kind of ballpark we're in. So I have something to work with. And so it's hard because some people just still won't. It is a very old school negotiation a technique, but you know, you, you need to try to not be throwing darts in the dark if you can help it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that too. And another thing we talk about the psychology of a negotiation, using the the door in the face, is you know, people are coming to negotiate. They want to play that game. They know that it is a negotiation. What I mean by that is sometimes people think, Oh, I don't want to play the game. Here's my number. And you have to be careful with that. Just human psychology. If you went to get you know, I guess we're talking about real estate today, a home and say, you know what? I'll give you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And they say, okay, let's do it. <laughs> That's terrible for the yeah. process because the person, even though it's a win-win situation and an easy negotiation, you've just sabotaged the whole thing because they're like, whoa, that was too easy. Maybe I could have got more. What's going on? They accepted too fast. They didn't even try to negotiate. And you get all these thoughts and guarantee a phone call the next day is going to say, uh, no, or, or or we can't do that. We need to renegotiate this. So you got to be very careful with that.
1: People expect that natural give and take. That's what makes them feel satisfied with what they got. They had to fight a little bit to get the number. They got the best mm-hmm. deal, and I, I felt that way before. You know, I got a deal on something, and wow, <laughs> you know, they agree to it right away. You start wondering, oh, okay, what am I missing here?
0: Well, let me put it this this way just for the listeners: that it is a game, and you've got to play. If you don't want to play the negotiation game, you're going to lose because they're coming to play. And if you're not willing to play, you will lose. And it's just how the system works.
1: That is how it works. You've got to play the game. It's fun. You told me last year on Valentine's, I was whining about how I hate playing the game. And you're like, yep, but you got to play it.
0: That's <laughs> how <laughs> so it is. You got to play
1: it. You, you got to get your it.
0: points. You got to keep the love alive. That's just how it is.
1: <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's coming again. I, I did make plans this year. I'm, oh, there you go. I'm on top of it. I mean, you got to get babysitters like five months in advance. There's a thousand people to every babysitter on that holiday, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> That's a tough one. And they're going to charge you a premium, too.
1: Uh, they know. They got you over a barrel on that one. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on Door in the Face while we're at it?
0: It works well. Again, adjusting the perception of time and money. I'd be Disneyland or any amusement park uses this where you see this fancy ride. It's the best of the best. It says 60 minutes, like, right? kids want to go and you wait and they do a couple things to you first of all it'll never be 60 minutes it'll probably be like 40 so you're excited to only have to spend 40 minutes in this line but the other thing they do is you're hey i'm getting close i'm getting closer i'm getting closer and then you turn that corner and you got a whole nother set of of those yeah. ropes <laughs> yeah you almost there almost there you almost there oh another set of those ropes and so they do a couple things they start with a big number and it's going to be lower than that but they also adjust your perception to where you think you're doing pretty good instead. Because if you s- saw that whole huge line, that would really be tough to stand in line. And even though you've they've adjusted your perception with the sixty-minute mark,
1: Disneyland is so good at that. I mean, oh, they are. They are amazing. That's a
0: whole study of influence right there.
1: You could write volumes of books on what Disneyland. I mean, those people they herd like twenty-five thousand cats daily. I mean, and they get as much money as they possibly can out of each of those wallets. It's just, wow, what a mill. I mean, that place is great.
0: 20 bucks for a turkey drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they get it from you. They sell. <laughs> oh, I know. They do it. You see, they are good. They're good at what they do. A lot of the studies, the research, the smells, the lights, the colors, the lines, the people coming out happy. I mean, people are smiling after they've just had all their money taken from their wallet. Yep. They've spent half the day in line, but everyone's happy they had a good experience. And I'm, in fact, hats off, I think that deserves a ninja sound. Let's hear a ninja. Give them a ninja. There it is. Good for them. They're happy. And that's the thing. It's okay to take people's money. They leave happy and they'll come back again. They'll recommend to all their friends. That's how it is done. Everyone is yeah. happy. It's a win-win situation. And it's a profitable business for them.
1: Yeah, everything they do is... I was in Orange County on Friday and Saturday last week staying at the Sheraton on Disneyland Drive. I, I mean, Disneyland was out my front door. I've stayed there before. Yeah, yeah. And I was driving down uh, Disneyland Drive, and it was funny. People are coming out of Disneyland. They're they're happy, and there's hotels across the street. And I mean, and the hotels are well-kept. They're not the nicest in the world, but they're well-kept. But one thing I noticed was... You know, the hotels, they had like some leaves on the sidewalk and things like that. Disney, have you ever noticed a leaf on a sidewalk or any like blade of grass out of place? If you're going to be the happiest place on earth, you got to be perfect. And it always just is spectacularly clean uh, everywhere.
0: Oh, it is. I I grew up down there. My best friend got a job doing the sweeping late at night, making sure it was clean. They did it all throughout the day. Sometimes they did do it at night and it was their thing. That's all they had to do. But the interesting thing about that is... If anybody came up to them, asked them a question, wanted advice, that was their top priority, not the sweeping. They were to work with that person until the problem was solved. Just I was impressed with the amount of training a sweeper would get at Disneyland, but they do. Everyone's trained. Guest is number 1. Hats off to you Disneyland and Disney World. Good job.
1: Yep. Yep, I'm getting ready to go give them a bunch of my money later this year. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, they they get me. So, well, why don't we queue up the Homer?
0: Homer, give it to us. Don't!
1: Don't! Don't! So, guess what? I, I told you earlier in the podcast, I was in Orange County. I had a steak at Morton's down in Santa Ana, Costa Mesa area of Orange County with a good friend of mine. Used to work with him. Great guy. We were sitting there having steak, and I got a big old porterhouse. It was just delightful. right? I hadn't <laughs> had one in a while. So... The waitress decides that she's going to come chat us up, and she was nice enough. You appreciate a little bit of chatting, you know, as long as it's not getting in the way. But then, while we're sitting there chewing into red meat, she decides she's going to tell us that she just went and saw the movie Food, Inc. (laughs) And if you've seen the movie Food, Inc., I haven't seen it, but I don't need to know now. I mean, that porterhouse wanted to come up the other way after she's telling us all this stuff. And we're just looking at each other like, I cannot believe that a waitress is telling us about the movie Food Inc. So Morton's is a great restaurant, but you gotta can that waitress. That is not a good idea to be talking to clients about hormones and antibiotics and cattle and feces and all that crap <laughs> while they're eating it. Come
0: on, guys. Yeah, that's a tough one. When you go to dinner with someone, like, yeah, well, you're ordering meat and it could have fecal matter. And do you know what it means when they, with beef is aged? Well, yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. I'm just let me enjoy this. And it uh, can take the wind (laughs) out of your sails. And, like, really? Come on, let me enjoy this. But some people really enjoy doing that, especially when it comes to meat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It it was tough. Those are good steaks, but uh, I lost a lot of steam. Uh, (laughs) It was tough. So, Morton's Waitress in Santa Ana, you are the blunder of the week. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. You could have really, did it hurt the tip?
1: I don't think it did because I didn't did it need help it. the tip. <laughs> My buddy paid.
0: <laughs> oh, all right. But well, that could affect the tip either way, even though if it was a standard 15 when they could have got 20. I mean, that does affect things like that. Absolutely.
1: I'll have to ask him what he tipped or I, I don't know. I don't know. So the conversation was great until she started bringing that up. So uh, there's a time and place for every conversation. There you go. I
0: agree 100%. That's the blunder. Watch what you say when people are eating, especially when your tips are on the line cuz it had to affect the
1: tip. And I don't see how it wouldn't have. He was not happy about the conversation and he was the one uh, signing the credit card receipt, so yeah. That's the blunder for the week. Morton's waitress. We talked today about door in the face and how optimism is heart healthy. Great great episode today, Kurt. Thank you for the information. And everybody Subscribe to us on iTunes, and please tell your friends, please tell your associates about the Maximize Your Influence podcast. Do you find it useful? Do you like listening to it while you're out on sales calls? Tell other people about it. And, uh, of course, go to universityofpersuasion.com for more ways that you can take advantage of the stuff that we're talking about here. We've got some free options, some monthly subscriptions, even year-long training programs that really don't cost very much at all for about the cost of Starbucks a month.
0: Right? For the cost of a cup of coffee, a latte a week, a month, yeah, you can get trained for 52 weeks.
1: And just to verify, it's not the old donut shop 50 cent cup of coffee. It's
0: <laughs> not. This is the good stuff.
1: This is, you know, a Starbucks triple latte whipped cream, whatever. I don't know. It's kind of funny to hear what people order there. Have you ever done that?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, how do they remember that?
1: I know. They've got all this <laughs> stuff. And the, the baristas, they know it all, too. They're like, oh, yep, coming right up. Like, you know, they, they do it all the time.
0: That would be the drawback for a new person in Starbucks. There's just too many options. But for a seasoned professional, they know
1: exactly what they want. They do. They do. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening to Maximize Your Influence, and we will catch you next week on another episode. See you next week.